0: Yeah 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 yeah
1: This is my favorite chapter so far.
0: Okay 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 okay.
1: Okay okay
0: okay Surprising because there's lots of Kyle content.
1: Yeah. You know what? I think I said it earlier. The last time I said that this was like my favorite chapter so far. It was also Kyle content. Maybe I just secretly like Kyle. Interesting. No, I do not like Kyle.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing Chapter 8, Night Conversations. And this is taking place immediately after they're done leaving the docks. The family is done leaving the docks and going up to the Vestrit household. And we're in Kefria's perspective here.
1: Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but we don't really get Kefria's perspective very often, do we?
0: No, we do not. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting the few chances we do get to look through her point of view. And I kind of wish we got more because it's interesting to see how she thinks.
0: She just in general gets kind of forgotten.
1: Yeah, poor Kefria.
0: (laughs) By everyone and Robin Hobb. (laughs) Yeah. So they get back to the Vestrit household and Kefria details how Ronica pretty much instantly collapses. Kyle stood just shaking his head and so Kefria sees her to bed um, waiting for a servant to make up a guest room because she doesn't want her mother sleeping on a cot in their uh, main room or sleeping in probably the bed of the main room there right. without her husband. So waits until that is that room is fully made up and then goes on to her own kids and she finds Selden sitting by himself on the bed because Malta did not want to look after him. He was crying. He had wanted his mother, and Malta had told him she was busy, too busy for a crying baby. Then she had left him sitting on the edge of his bed without so much as calling a servant to see him. So Kefri is saying for an instant she was mad at Malta, and then is like, oh, but she's just a kid. You know, she can't be expected to do that. It was reasonable to expect a 12-year-old to care for her 7-year-old brother after a day such as they just had. So
1: Not reasonable.
0: Yeah, not reasonable, so it's fine. So she sues the boy, sits by his side until he falls asleep, which is much, much later, and then eventually can go to her own room.
1: Right. And I think something that's really interesting to me is that on the surface, I agree that it's a good message to not adultify Malta from a parent's point of view. Right. So to for her to acknowledge that this is a lot, even for a 13 year old. And of course she didn't make 12 the Twelve-year-old, right, sorry, 12 year old. Of course she didn't make the right choices. I think that's a really actually weirdly good parenting it is, like, it is. style or thought to have to like, oh, let's keep my kids a, a child. But also I think she's old enough to have at least asked an adult to help. Instead of putting her child down, her other child down for being a baby because he's seven and was crying.
0: Kids at 12 years old babysit other kids and make money. (laughs) Also. I mean, that's kind of like the low end, but. Yeah. She has enough responsibility to do that.
1: Yeah. You would think she, especially her own brother, should be able to at least comfort him. And So just
0: being like casually cruel to a seven-year-old younger brother makes sense. (laughs) But also like just another indicator that she's mean.
1: And. Not necessarily going on the right path. Right. (laughs) And I think that this could have been an opportunity for, you know, Kefria to maybe examine the fact that her daughter is a bully and a brat (laughs) and doesn't really care about anybody but herself. But instead she focuses on the fact that she is a child too. And she had a hard, hard day. I also think it's really interesting that we have Kyle upset with Veronica for collapsing in grief in her own home. Um, I guess not upset. He just shakes his head in disapproval. But still, like, where is she supposed to do that then? She didn't do it in public.
0: It's not necessarily in disapproval either. It's just shakes his head. So we don't really get an emotion of whether it's just, like, shaking his head at the whole situation of, like, this is messed up and everyone's so sad. Or, I mean, we can put what we know of kyle onto the motion but we don't get a specific emotion out of it right so while i don't want to be fair to kyle i don't (laughs) want (laughs) to i also don't think we can say that he's just disapproving of ronica showing emotion or collapsing
1: that's fair i suppose
0: it could be just stood shaking his head like i don't know what to do (laughs)
1: Fair. Yeah. Well, that's obvious because he doesn't do anything and just goes to bed to wait for his wife, even though his children need tending to and he doesn't do that either. So, (laughs) you know, whatever. Um, Is that surprising? No. But finally, Kefria, after taking care of everyone else, is able to go into bed. And when she gets to her room, she thinks that her husband is probably sleeping because it's very late and she turns all the lights off and gets changed and when she goes to get in bed he has Kyle has turned over and opened his arms to embrace her and she is touched by the fact that he has waited up for her.
0: Also want to make mention that the word Anmo does appear again. Kefra is like I wonder if my father's Anmo is still here she kind of gets freaked out and is like no no, no. not when in the ship it's fine whatever so just a common word in Bingtown I guess. Yeah. Anyways just wanted to Yeah, good point. Yeah, so Kyle has waited up for Kefria and they uh, get into bed and snuggle a bit.
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting, the phrasing that she uses, that he opened his arms to welcome her in. He had not slept without her, but had waited for her here. Despite how long the day had been, despite how weary and sorrowful she was, that gladdened her. And I think that's a really interesting take that he's literally doing the bare minimum, I have to say, because I don't like him. And like, again, <laughs> he left her, her father died, but she still has to take care of everybody else. And she's like touched that he waited for her. And I think that's really sad. And I think that gives us a little peek into maybe why Kefria is with Kyle and what the draw of Kyle is. That Kyle makes her feel seen and, and important in, yeah. in his own way. Not necessarily as important as a man, but important in her role as a woman.
0: Well, Kefria fully yeah, fully embraces her role as a woman and what that should be as well. So it kind of fits in with Kyle.
1: Right. But I do think it's it's good to point out that there are glimpses of what she sees in Kyle and why she would have gone towards Kyle.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: As they snuggle, she thinks about her mom and what her mom has lost because she is enjoying the company of her husband and they do what adults do and then cuddle after. And she is then left to think, what if my husband had died? I wouldn't be able to have release from my grief. I wouldn't be able to step away because there wouldn't be anyone to comfort me. And so it makes her sad to think about the things that her mother is probably going through.
0: Yeah. She starts to cry and Kyle pretty much says, don't do that. There's been so much grief, like let it just be us to drop everything away. And Kefria has to reply. Like, I was just thinking like, this is what my mother lost. And Kyle has to respond. Like, yeah, I was kind of thinking that too, because what if I don't come home one time? <laughs> like, What what if that happens? And Kefria of course is don't even speak that idea. I still don't know. And then she like changes subjects a little bit, says, I don't know if it was right taking the ship from Althea. So there's uh, some sympathy and some empathy coming from Kyle in those conversations there. And he obviously is a man who thinks deeply about his family and specifically how he should see it run, but thinks deeply of, you know, the, the people in his family and how to care for them.
1: Interesting take. I was viewing this from Kyle as another way of him putting himself as the main character, so to speak. Um, the only way he's relating to this is thinking about how it would affect him, which I suppose is kind of how we all do it. But I just think it's really interesting that.
0: I, I really don't think it's how it would affect him at all, though. Because no. he's saying, like, what if I didn't come home? Then it would, he was thinking of Kefria alone having to deal with the whole family and everything like that.
1: Right. Sorry.
0: It's a little bit more like main (laughs) character-y, but.
1: (laughs) Well, I, sorry, I misspoke. I mean to say how, I don't, I don't know how to phrase it, how he's putting himself, the way I'm going to phrase it makes it sound nicer than what I'm trying to say, but how he's putting himself as the person that has to receive the action for it to make him feel bad. If that makes sense, like, he has to be the one not come home. And then what would Kefria do? It's not necessarily about Ronica's grief. It's about his grief of leaving his wife alone to me, I guess. Um, And maybe that isn't a very nice way to read it. And maybe I'm being extra harsh because it's Kyle. It can be both. Um, but, But I guess you're right. This is a touch of compassion that we don't really get to see from Kyle.
0: And it's not necessarily a bad thing that he's thinking that, or like if it's straight on what you were saying, I don't think because some people just don't, they don't think through their emotions and can't relate to things unless it's put a certain way, you know? And and the fact that he did that does show a side to him that not a lot of readers carry through on on these read-through of this trilogy. That's fair. So I I think it does show a side of humanity from him and a little bit more of his motivations for all the actions he does take. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess that's fair. I think I'm just thinking that it's taking away from what Ronica is actually going through, and thinking more of like, oh, somebody I actually care about could be affected, which I guess still isn't necessarily that bad. It's not like he's saying it to Ronica, I guess.
0: <laughs> so they talk about Althea a little bit here. Obviously, Kyle is angered at the whole subject, but they talk about her actions during the funeral. Kefria's first, all saying. "'You know, I, I know we talked about it, we all agreed to it, "'but the look on her face when I put my hand on the peg, "'and then the way she just stormed off. "'I never would have believed Elthea would do that, "'just leave the funeral that way. "'I thought she loved him more than that.' "'Um,' Kyle considered, "'I hadn't expected it either. "'I thought she loved the ship more than that, "'if not her father. "'I expected a real battle with her "'and was just as glad when she gave in easily. "'I was sure the whole funeral ceremony "'would be one bitter scene after another with her.' At least she spared us that, though I confess I'm uneasy as to where she is right now and kind of goes off in the whole, a girl should not be alone in Bingtown, it's unseemly. And then follows up with, you know I can't let her get away with that. Kefria kind of says, well my father always said light hand was best and <laughs> and this is where Kyle speaks some truth but also goes about it the wrong way. <laughs> And he says, forgive me, my love, but I think he said it to excuse himself from taking a father's stand with her. She's spoiled. She's been indulged for as long as I've known her, and it shows. She constantly assumes she's going to get her own way. It's made her selfish and thoughtless of others. But it's not too late for her. Fighting out that was more of a shock to me than you can imagine. And he speaks that of the incident where he lost his anger, yelled at her, and she obeyed him.
1: Except noticeably is making it a lot less bad, (laughs) a lot less harsh than what actually happened.
0: I was angry and barked out the words to get her out of my sight before I could really lose my temper with her. And she obeyed me.
1: Which is really interesting because what does that mean if really losing your temper isn't hitting her across the face? You know what I mean?
0: Like he's telling this story to Kefri and does not mention hitting her.
1: No, I know. That's what I'm saying. But so
0: like, oh. it doesn't make sense for him to think of that if the story he's telling her is, true. you know, we were exchanging angry words. And I said, get out of my sight before I really get angry. And then Kefri's like, oh, if he gets really angry, maybe he would hit her. And not that he already has because she doesn't know.
1: Right. No, but I think that's interesting. But I'm saying, do you think he is thinking that he would have done worse than just hit her if she hadn't left? No, I think, or is he I think trying he's to make embe- it sound better? I think
0: he's in spell- embellishing his own story because he's leaving out the hitting part. Okay. And leaving that to imagination for like the next escalation.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I think it is really awful to, re- or to read his retelling of his wife of what goes on or what was going on. And I also think it's really sad this whole conversation really, because it kind of shows the disconnect between Althea and Kefria. Kefria can't imagine Althea's love toward the ship. She doesn't understand it. She doesn't know where her sister is right. coming from. And she didn't understand why maybe her sister would be so upset at her taking the ship from underneath her that maybe she would not want to be around them after that because everyone was against her and that they kind of blindsided her literally as their father was dying. Right. Who she also didn't know was on his deathbed. And like, there's no hint of empathy of, I knew it would surprise her, but I didn't think it'd be that big of a surprise or like understanding that like maybe she felt ganged up on and had to leave. It's just, I can't, I thought she loved my dad more than that instead of recognizing the actual situation Althea was in. And also it shows how little she knows about the relationship between Althea and Kyle, because Kyle has been such an antagonist to Althea for before we've been seeing them in this book. Like it is clear that Althea and Kyle don't get along. And I don't think that first discussion in his cabin is the only time he's ever said mean things to her. It's the first time he's hit her. Sure. But clearly they've said things to each other that aren't nice. And the fact that Kefria doesn't understand that aspect of the relationship, I think is what's confusing her as to why Althea would react the way that she did.
0: I think that's, I mean, I I don't really want to look for faults in that, but I feel like it's my job as an analyst of this to do that. So I feel like, That's a lot on Kefria, also on Althea, and a bit on Kyle. Kyle's obviously a bad person. He's going to lie and say, like, I've been, you know, I'm a stand-up captain. i got to do what's best and keep control, whatever. But Kefria and Althea's relationship, like you said, hasn't been close for a long time. Right. And Althea, yes, it's on her as well. She should take a little bit more care of her relationships with her family and, you know, the things that are going on in the house and on shore in general. And Kefria, yes, is very busy with raising two kids, <laughs> but they've also have other servants and things. And I'm sure she has free time and can reach out to Elthea or talk to her right. a little bit more. I just feel like the relationship there between those two sisters really, really isolates Kefria. And I think it's a little bit willfully because she views Elthea as so Weird And it has unusual ways because and she views her mother like she works too much and she should be more like a stately housewife.
1: Right. No, I think it's really interesting. As much as I like Kefria in her own way, she definitely has some faults. And I think it's similar to Althea in that Kefria has her worldview and that is how the world should work. Anybody who doesn't agree with it is wrong. However, I think she's almost more insular than Althea in some ways because she is in the popular view. And so there yeah. are people affirming that what she's doing is right. And she doesn't ever have to look at what might be wrong with it. She likes the role that she's in. She agrees with the role that she's in. And so people who don't fit into the box that she does naturally don't make sense to her. And she doesn't have to try to make sense of it because she is in the majority. Yeah, And so I think that's really a downside, a downfall on her end because it, it, like is her blinders. And I know that we also see that with Althea in some ways where she's above the crew because she's the captain's daughter or whatever. <laughs> but I think at least Althea in some ways has to be challenged to keep her worldview. She has to think about why her worldview is in place and what the benefits are versus the downsides of the other. She has more experience with both sides so I don't know, like, obviously their sisters are very similar, but in this way, I think Kefria is a little bit worse than Althea. Yeah,
0: yeah I think so. Just in general, all of the characters in this trilogy are, except for maybe, except for maybe Wintro are extremely close-minded yes. to any other view than their own. Which, of course, makes it frustrating and, of course, is a little human. But I I feel like that's almost a downfall of Robin Hobb's writing in this series is that everyone is so in a box. Yes. I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm too optimistic. But I feel like humans are a little bit more like... Oh, well, maybe, maybe I can learn about this a little bit. But then again, looking at, you know, like U.S. politics or something,
1: it's <laughs> maybe, maybe it makes right. real
0: life a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. It just feels like all of the main characters we have are are just so close minded to any differing viewpoint.
1: Right. And it's I think frustrating. I think for the most part, a majority of them change throughout the series and do grow. Yeah, sure. Some of them don't. As much as others.
0: I mean, a lot of them are forced to. Right. Which doesn't really say anything good about their adaptability. Right. (laughs) But they do change.
1: (laughs) Right. But I think that's also kind of realistic, right? In that your worldview is something that like kind of does take something external Happening to you personally to change Definitely. and the more experiences you have, the more people you talk to, the broader your worldview gets. And so I think it is a little bit of the adaptability of humans in general mm-hmm. um, that these people who are so secluded and sheltered do get the chance to grow because they aren't allowed to be sheltered the whole time. I think that would be yeah. insufferable. <laughs> right. But we do have Kefir here and she and Kyle are talking. Kyle is already, like you said, um prepping her to let her know that she's Althea has to be punished, which is gross. Like you're not her dad. or in charge of her in any way.
0: He's the man of the house now. (laughs) (laughs) So Kyle is talking about what happened when he raised his voice and commanded her and says how she came down from the docks, didn't hear a peep from her. She was very well dressed and polite and looked like, you know, a proper lady. He was very surprised. He says, I was amazed. I kept waiting for her to try to start up the quarrel again. And then I realized this was what she had been looking for all along. Someone to draw a line. Someone to finally take charge of her and make her behave as she knows she should. All this time, I think she was just seeing how far she could go before someone took in her sails and dropped anchor. He cleared his throat. I respected your father. You know I did. But when it came to Althea, he was blind. He never forbade her anything. Never really told her no and enforced it. When I stepped in and did that, well, the difference was amazing. Of course, when she got off the ship and I was no longer in charge, then she got, then she started to get a bit wild again. He shrugged. For a time, there was silence as he and Kefria considered her sister and her strange ways. So, yeah, very gross. Says that, you know, this is what she was looking for all along someone to verbally abuse and physically abuse her. So she stays in line. And he was amazed at the difference. So. Right. Also. You go Kyle. Yeah.
1: Also, it's like making jabs at her the whole time. Whenever he says that she dressed like a lady, he says, or as close as she knows how, which should be hints to Kefria that they don't get along in something bigger than what he's making it seem. But also goes back to what I was saying when in Althea's mind, she's like, this guy isn't even worth my time a day to talk to. I'm just going to ignore him. And here Kyle is taking that as a win and like, see, mm-hmm. this is exactly what she needs. But as soon as I couldn't be fully in charge of her, she got a little wild again. And it's like, no, dude, she just didn't want to talk to you. Like maybe examine your things that you have done to her. Also,
0: her dad died. Yes. <laughs> that's that's the little wild, you know, oh running off. Anyways. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, it's just like, I don't know. Obviously, I can't talk to Kyle and be like, dude, you need to not do that. Like, I don't know, like be a better person. Clearly, I'm not capable of doing that because he isn't real.
0: He wouldn't (laughs) listen anyways.
1: No, I'm a woman. So uh, what do I know? (laughs) But it is so frustrating to hear him say this. And not once do we get any sign of distress from Kefria. She's just kind of like, oh, that makes sense. She just is going along with whatever her husband says.
0: But he also like follows this conversation up or that part of the conversation up talking and addressing each of Kefria's concerns that she brought up. Saying that, you know, I used to think there was no hope for Althea, but today when she finally saw us all united in what was best for the family, she didn't truly oppose us. Deep inside, she knows what is right. The ship must be worked for the good of the whole family. You are the eldest, it's only right and just that you inherit the family's real wealth. Besides, you have children to provide for and the ship will let us do that. Who has Althea to provide for? Why? Only herself. And I think we can trust ourselves to see that she doesn't go hungry or naked or roofless. But if the situation were reversed and the ship had been given over to her, she would have sailed the Vivatia out of the harbor without a backward glance. And like as not, she'd have that neer do as the captain on her. So brings up Brashin kind of unnecessarily because he has, you know, obviously a grudge against Brashin. But basically says, you know, Althea gave in anyways because she didn't oppose us. Just an extension of what uh, you were talking about, Emma, in the previous conversation of she didn't talk back. So she accepted me. It's just the. Kyle only sees the definitive black and white. Right. Of everything and always skews it to his own viewpoint. Right. So it's really frustrating to read this because yes, he he does straight up address every issue that Kefria brings up. And Kefria later kind of says that like, oh yeah, his ability to think through things so clearly and logically is what drew me to him in the first place. He's so safe and he knows everything and can think through all these thoughts. And it's just so... Ugh, oh, so frustrating to read it from Kefria's point of view, because we know who Kyle is and what actually happened and what Elthea was thinking through those emotions. But seeing it from Kefria's point of view, yeah, her sister's viewpoint or her ways are unusual. They're weird. And she was very upset. But then Kefria can easily dismiss that into, oh, it was just grief and surprise. And she didn't truly oppose us because Kyle's saying, yeah, she didn't say like, no, you can't do that. This is mine. So Kefria can easily kind of brush it aside and be like, you know, Kyle's kind of right here.
1: Right. And I think that's something that's so insidious in this whole reading of the event, because he even says all of us were there telling her what was right and she didn't truly oppose us. You mean everyone around her told her that she had to do this thing and it was her versus five other people, sorry, three people and a dying man. Gee, I wonder why she didn't oppose you harder. I I wonder what could possibly be the reason for her just silently going along with, with what was happening as her father was dying when Everyone on board who could do something was vehemently against her. Like, there's just no thought into that, that nobody wants to think about that aspect, Kefria or Kyle. They're just like, oh, yeah, maybe she did want this. This is what she really needed all along. But I also hate that Kyle is turning this into Althea doesn't care about you or our children. She would never do anything to help us. There would be no reason for her to. And I think that's because if he were in her shoes, that's what he would do. If he didn't have a family, he would sail off into the sunset with that ship and never turn around and help anyone else.
0: He says, we know we'll provide for Althea and get your mother out of her financial tangle as well. Could you say for certain that Althea would care for your mother, let alone us and our children?
1: Yes. Literally, what gives you the idea that she wouldn't? She brings presents for their kids every time she comes back. She picks them out. Are they what the kids want? No. Probably not. (laughs) But, like, that's still a step of trying to be civil. She hates their dad and still gets some expensive gifts every time she goes on travels. I think that's a pretty good sign that she cares enough about her family, that she would probably do what was best to help them. She would Although follow. Although
0: self-admittedly, she does not care about anything that happens on shore. True, <laughs>
1: but I, I don't think that means that she would no, like not no. give them money. Like I think she would continue as things have been, just without her dad.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's giving the benefit of the doubt here. I, I think that is. Even though he's misguided and yes, I agree with you that he would just kind of leave yeah. <laughs> if he was if he was in Althea's shoes and got the ship. But I think that's what they're seeing in Althea is that she would be like her father, but her father seemed to have his pulse on Bingtown, like the pulse of Bingtown. He seemed to, even though with his own holdings fully entrusted to Ronica, didn't really help out much, seemed to care what was going on in the town. And seemed to care from the uh, anecdotes that we get about, you know, different laws, people moving in, things happening. And I feel like Elthea doesn't have that tie. So from their perspective, seeing that, like, she would be her father, but without the ties to land, she'd be gone even longer. Right. Maybe maybe she wouldn't even help with the holdings at all. So I can see it. It's exacerbated to a point that's not logical. But I can see the start of it, I guess. The start of the thought.
1: Yeah, and I can see how, like, from Kefria's point of view, who is estranged from her sister, why this might be somewhat plausible. But it's like, doesn't Althea also bring gifts for her mom and Kefria, too? I mean, it's not just the kids. I feel like she picks stuff out for everybody. I'm pretty sure she bought fabric for her mom and sister. She bought the best for her. I don't, I just feel like there's so many little glimpses we get that Althea, although she doesn't understand her family, still loves them. And the fact that they don't see it that way because it's not the way that they would do things is really sad to me. And clearly Althea doesn't feel like they love her either. And I mean, I think that's brought up later by Althea herself, but I just feel so bad for her to hear this telling and have Kefria kind of be like, yeah, you're right. That makes sense. That's logical. Right. Um, And I do also think the last thing that I'll say on this whole little gross Kyle paragraph is that he did say the real wealth should go to you. Yeah. Althea was supposed to get the ship and her sister would get the lands. And it's interesting that he doesn't count the lands and the holdings as real wealth the ship is the real wealth Uh,
0: that's to me that's not super surprising no because and not just from kyle but just in general thinking of it because i think the live ship is probably worth two three four times more than all of their lands because even if they sold them all they couldn't pay off the debt Sure. to the ship. So I feel like, yes, that is kind of the the real wealth. And I'm not surprised he said that, but obviously he is a sea captain and he sees that is the real wealth. That's the only thing. Plus he views and has said that, you know, would, or we, we can help your mother out of her financial tangle as well. So he just, I feel like sees the land holdings as holding them back. And not doing so well because it's her mother's financial tangle. You know, it's not
1: the the debt on the ship or the
0: family or whatever. So, yeah, I can I can see that.
1: I just thought it was really slimy wording and it kind of does make it feel like Althea might be a little bit correct that he only went after Kefria because of the live ship. Not that it was surprising that he would think that is the real wealth, (laughs) but like maybe Althea was a little bit right.
0: So then the thoughts and Kefria's thoughts kind of wander through her family as she's thinking about this. So first she thinks of Kyle and like, oh yeah, he's so logical and, you know, he goes through everything. And she thinks about how that's one thing that she really looked for when she wed, that she did not want to live her life tied to a man as impulsive and fanciful as her father had been. She had seen what it had done to her mother how it had aged her far beyond her years. Other trader matrons lived sedate lives of ease, tending their rose gardens and grandbabies, while her own mother had each day risen to face a man's load of decisions and work. It was not just the accounts and the labor- laborious working out of agreements with fellow traders. Often as not, her mother had been out on the fields on horseback, checking for herself that what her overseer said was true. And she kind of recounts how ever since she could remember her mother had got her up or her mother had gotten up and gone to the fields during certain times and eventually brought Kefria out to teach her, you know, what to look for for disease, teach her what to look for for good crops. And, you know, really taught her some of the work that was being done on the fields. And Kefria hates it. And she says as soon as she was old enough to be concerned with her hair and skin, she had rebelled and refused to be tormented any longer. That she recalled was the same year that she resolved she would never marry a man who would go to sea and leave her with such burdens. But she fondly says out loud, and then I married a sailor.
1: Right. So first of all, I do want to say that it looks like Althea isn't the only one who is spoiled by a parent. Um, Kefria didn't want to do something, so her mother allowed it. Just like when Althea doesn't want to do something, her father allows it. The only difference is what Kefria doesn't want to do isn't deemed as typical ladies work. And so it's more acceptable for her not to want to do it. Yeah. Whereas when Althea doesn't want to do something, it is the typical lady stuff that she doesn't want to do. And so she has to do it because society deems it. So, and I find that really interesting to see that, she doesn't realize that she and Althea were treated the same way just by different parents. And honestly, I think it's huge that Ronica tried to show her the ins and outs of every single part to keep her successful, to give her a chance to be in charge of her own life in a way that women aren't really allowed to do in this society at the moment. And instead of being appreciative of what her mother was showing her and the hard work her mother was doing, she just hates it and thinks it's stupid and never thinks about it again. Much in the same way as Althea refuses to think about anything that goes on on land because she thinks it's stupid. Yep. But I also think that we see here a little bit of her not really being the one to make her own decisions all the time or necessarily need to be the one thinking things through. She kind of just follows what others are saying or doing. Like the majority of people are, uh, majority of women in trader households are lounging about and getting to enjoy life. And so that's what she wants to do.
0: I mean, same, I, mean, I, mean, <laughs> I don't want to work.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I, honestly mood, but <laughs> but I think in seeing that she is drawn to Kyle who kind of does her thinking for her. Like I, I can kind of see the draw of that of like, yeah, my mom had to work super hard and we're kind of poor now because of all the problems going on. And so Like, I don't want to have to think. I don't want to have to make decisions. And there's nothing wrong with not wanting to be, like, a working woman, quote, unquote. Like, you can want to just be a mom. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I think the problem arises when she thinks of it as a bad thing that her mother is doing it and that it's not right for women to do this and that the hard thinking needs to be done by the men. Maybe you don't like doing it, but your mom does. And I don't think it's fair to like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just hard.
0: Kyle kind of is falling asleep and perks up at the, and then I went and married a sailor and Kefria leads that question into, I just wish you weren't gone so often. And now that Papa's dead, you're the man of the house. And then they talk about winter a little bit because Kyle says, I know. And I've thought of that. I've worried about that. Why else do you think I must insist I take Wintrow on the ship with me? It's time he stepped forward as a man of this family and took on his share of the responsibilities. And Kefria kind of chimes in like, hey, his priesthood. You know, this is something that she really wants for Wintrow. And Kyle completely shuts it down like, no, that was your idea. You gave him the priesthood. It wasn't mine. He has to, he has to help. You know, that's for rich families that can offer a son and not care that they lost that labor. Uh, we can't afford that. We need him back. He provided it. So provided us a son, so we'll use him. Right. And she was really proud of him because, you know, not all boys are accepted. Wintrow was seeming to excel and she has letters commending him on his good work and things like that still saved in her trunk. And, she is very quiet throughout this whole thing. just kind of small little sentences, but we promised him and all these little things. And Kyle's just kind of steamrolling through everything. And obviously this upsets Kyle and he stands up to go.
1: Great. I also think it's really interesting. We get kind of why she's upset. It was very hard for her to disagree with her husband, but in this one area, he had always before let her have her way. She could scarcely grasp that he might change his mind now. And I think it's really interesting that this was the one thing he was giving her. Like this was yeah. her thing that she got to do, even though he didn't agree with it, which kind of makes me think that Kyle makes all of her decisions for her. And that,
0: I mean, isn't that pretty obvious? Yeah.
1: But like uh <laughs> girlfriend, like you can do anything on your own. You do not need his permission, but all right. Um, and the fact that he would maybe, say no to this thing that he has been allowing all this time allowing which also gross is so heartbreaking to her she's like I can't believe he would betray my trust like this or not betray her trust but like I can't believe he'd go back on his word and it's like girl that's who Kyle is have you been around him for more than a day like dude just does whatever fits him
0: <laughs> All but the time. also again he explains it very logically thought out in little things and so she ultimately accepts it like she yeah. he even says like you know if it was a few years later that your father had died then it would be fine he could have stayed there but your father died and Selden's too young to sail so we need we need him we're in dire straits financially and Althea's is just kind of out of the question again right like it's just Shunted to the side because that conversation is done, and now it's about the sons. We need Wintro. He's coming back from the priesthood or the uh, monkhood or whatever. It's done. That's I,
1: it. yeah. And I also find it really interesting that in his dismissal of her worry and her want to do this, he says, that was your deal, not mine.
0: Yeah, you as, promised him, not I.
1: as though her promises mean nothing. Like, of course you can break your promise. I'm not the one who said it. And I, I don't know. I just thought that was a little tiny like thing that really stood out to me of like, he truly does not respect this woman as an adult. That is really sad. Like, yeah. Okay. You made a promise. So (laughs) I don't know. I just, uh, I hate that Kefria likes this man (laughs) when like he is nothing but red flags, literally nothing
0: but red flags. So he stands up and puts a shirt, pulls a shirt over his head, and she asks, Where are you going? She knew her comment had displeased him, but he had never quitted her bed to sleep elsewhere before. Also, that's a weird phrase. Do you have quitted as well in your. Yes, I do. Shouldn't it be quit? I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. He had never quitted her bed to sleep elsewhere before. He knew her so well. As if sensing her worry, he reached down to smooth her hair back from her face. I'll be back. I'm just gonna go, you know, check on Althea's room. Blah 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 blah. But that's just, oh, like he knew her so well, and immediately keffrey is like soothed again. Like, oh, it's okay. He's not sleeping somewhere else. I didn't anger him that much. Also,
1: anger him with what your opinion? Right. Like <laughs> you shouldn't be so scared of telling your partner your op- your your opinion over something that isn't even that controversial. That he would be so angry that he would silently leave the room and sleep somewhere else. Like red flag. That's another like dude is having the biggest red flag in the world, <laughs> waving it around. And she's like, oh, I love the color red. Like girlfriend, please. <laughs> if, no, <laughs> like your partner should respect your point of view and you can disagree, but you shouldn't be like, Oh no, maybe because I said something in disagreement of their opinion, they won't like me for a little bit. Like, Ah, that is so bad. And she's just like, oh, well, good. He's coming back.
0: So he he <laughs> talks about Althea a little bit here and says, you know, I can't believe her foolishness. I hope she doesn't make a spectacle of herself in Bingtown tonight. When she has a few drinks, she's capable of saying almost anything. Scandal is the last thing we need right now. The family must be seen as stable and united until we get these financial problems under control. Any wild talk from Althea and we could find our creditors panicking thinking they should get what they can out of us while we've got it. Ah, well, we've had enough worries and grief for tonight. Try to go to sleep. I'll be back in a few moments either way. So, wrapped up in the grossness there, there is a little nugget of truth of, yes, they have financial worries. If Althea does start complaining about, like, it's debt this, debt that and stuff, sure, creditors could kind of hound the vestrates and try to bankrupt them. But it's all wrapped up in the grossness, like I said.
1: (laughs) But also, like, does Althea even know about the debt? Like, she obviously knows that they have to pay for the ship. But, like, does she know how bad it is?
0: She doesn't care enough.
1: No. So, like, that's not what she would be talking about. But I also think it's interesting. The whole reason that they had to take the ship is to be united. At least that was what Ronica was saying earlier, that, like, Mm -hmm. they want a united front. They don't want it to look like the sisters have split. But now that Kefria is in charge of everything or, like, will be inheriting the rest of it later all of a sudden can't make it look like the family split on this it'll harm the creditors which is it why does it matter she doesn't have control of the ship if she doesn't matter because she's a woman then it shouldn't matter if she talks about anything about being upset that the family won't look
0: united they want everything to be like appearance wise to look united. Then
1: Maybe they should have asked her opinion and actually discussed it. That's
0: that would be actually (laughs) united. Yes. They want to look united. Sure. (laughs) Difference. Difference there. There
1: is a difference. But like also.
0: Also, uh, I do want to ask real quick, actually, when she has a few drinks, she's capable of saying almost anything. Do you think he's worried about her spreading quote unquote rumors about him and his uh, composure on the ship?
1: Hmm. I didn't think of composures I thought she, he was just worried that he would, she would repeat what she had said before of the only reason he married her sister was so that he could get his grimy little hands on her live ship. And he's I, done it.
0: I think the whole, the whole thing, like the whole yeah. conversation there, I think that he was a little bit worried about that. And that's why he's so controlling right now.
1: In losing his composure. Do you mean when he hit her?
0: Hitting her, yelling at her, everything that they said, the whole thing there.
1: Hmm. I don't know if he would, care if people knew like what would people do if they knew that he hit her you know what I mean not that it's good or that people would necessarily approve of it but would anybody really say anything about a a man who is part of the family hitting a family member like I don't know how bad things are in town and like what is
0: acceptable here I guess it's a little burr in their reputation
1: well then maybe he shouldn't have done it maybe just don't lay your hands on people I don't know pretty easy <laughs> but yeah I guess whatever Maybe he should be worried.
0: <laughs> he gets up and walks away and we switch to Brashin. So the last we saw Brashin and Althea, she was very drunk and he was outside saying like, hey, let me escort you home. In this chapter, she is finally saying, yeah, sure, that's fine. And he kind of remarks like, wow, she does not look great right now. She is definitely very drunk. The dress she had on. You know, the dress was obviously a dress of quality, marked her as a woman of quality at some point, but in the dis- disheveled condition, it made her look like someone she was wearing someone else's cast off. It's just all around not very well taken care of. Right now, he thought sourly, she looked more like a doxy looking for a tumble than a proud daughter of a Bingtown trader family. If she attempted to walk home alone, anything might befall her in the wildness of the night market. And she agrees. So he kind of heaves a sigh of relief that she's letting him walk her home safely.
1: Right. And I think it's a little, a small thing of kind of grossness from Brashen that we get him like, Oh, she looks like a doxy. She looks like she was ready for a tumble. And like, I can't believe she's dressed like that, which is really weird because you think of all people Brashen, would understand what she's going through and not his first thought wouldn't be about the way she's presenting herself. But he does later mention that he is a little shocked at himself for being so traitor-like.
0: Yeah. Falling back into his like upbringing.
1: Yes. And notes that it wasn't necessarily the most conductive (laughs) way to think. And I guess, I mean, it's fine to have those thoughts, obviously, as long as you're not like, being mean about it out loud. Like you can't always help the thought that comes to mind.
0: (laughs) that's a big thing too, with like the, the guilt in thoughts, being human in your thoughts and your thoughts, betraying you and your feeling. We've talked about that before in the past episodes. Yeah. And that was kind of the same thing that happened with Kefria too, where she was like, Oh, I'm so comforted with Kyle here. And then felt guilty because you know, her dad was dead and her mother doesn't have that. And the whole thing. Right. I think it's just kind of, a repeated theme throughout all these early chapters, at least. And it happens with uh Brash in here a little bit.
1: Yeah. And as he is having these traitor like thoughts, he talks about how he has left his bag with a barman that he knows, paid a few coins, more than he would have liked to spend to ensure its safety, and then spent more coins than he had intended to following Althea from bar to bar, um, just being... I assume just buying a drink so that he could stay to watch and make sure she was okay. But he also says, or he also is kind of disappointed because even though he spent that, mu- uh, that much money, he wasn't really drunk. Yeah. So he didn't really get to enjoy it.
0: Also, I do want to comment on a lot of the early talk about Bingtown, And I think it is purposely written that way. First pointing out that she looks like a doxy ready for a tumble and then saying like, you know, there's anything that can happen in the night market. And then further down saying, nevertheless, there would be a few rows who'd lurk down, down this way, hoping for a drunken sailor's last coin. He'd be wise to go carefully, especially with Althea in tow. Really is written specifically to contrast Althea's last thoughts of like, oh, nothing like that happens in Bingtown. Right. Other seedier ports, yes. I think it's really meant, if you read them all in a row, I know we've had a week in between episodes <laughs> here, but... If you read them back to back, it really contrasts with her thought and her naivety about what the world is actually like. She just has no idea because she has been so sheltered and so directed in her actions by her parents or probably other crewmates, you know, to the good parts of town and hasn't been exposed to the dirty truths of the underbelly of any city.
1: Right. And on top of that, I'm sure she doesn't really drink in Bingtown very often. Right. I, I mean, I don't think her mother would allow her to go out with the crew. And I don't really think the crew would want to be hanging out with her in their free time <laughs> at home. So I think it's really interesting that this is a situation where she is a little bit more naive in ways that she doesn't even understand. And we, like you said, we do get to see from Brashen's point of view how wrong she is. Yeah. He is very worried about people stealing from him, which we already knew because the last time we had Brashen's point of view, he talked about when he got his money, he stored it in three different places. So if a pickpocket came by, they want to get all of his wages. Um, So clearly it is normal, but Althea doesn't seem to think so
0: and we get the the classic trope the classic cliche of a drunk woman being like yep i'm drunk these are uncomfortable and ripping off her shoes of course it's Althea. she throws them into the the nearest alley instead of carrying them on her way back which but, is
1: actually pretty funny yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean not great also i'm sure those shoes were expensive so maybe she should not have done that uh, all i thought was like how common are shoes in this this world, this town, like does she have multiple pairs? Is this like one of two?
0: <laughs> I mean, they're a relatively wealthy trader family or at least were. So I'm right. sure she has multiple shoes and these shoes specifically were for that dress. Right.
1: That's fair. That's so, fair. No. <laughs> so,
0: but <laughs> but Brashin is grinning at this because she was wobbly before and now she's a bit better walking barefoot. Right. This is where his comment comes in. Even after all the years of doing for himself, there was still some of the straight-laced trail in him. He'd felt a shudder of horror at the impropriety of a trader's daughter going barefoot through the town. Well, given the rest of her condition, he doubted it would be very the first thing anyone noticed. Unnoticed. Not that he intended to troll her through the market as she was. He'd keep to the lesser-traveled streets and hope that they met no one who would recognize them in the darkness. That much he owed to the memory of Efren Vestrit. So, we get a little insight of... Yes... Being a traitor boy is still very ingrained in him, including that last sentence of honoring the memory of Ephraim Vestrit and keeping her, her appearance right now away from eyes who might know them. Right. Just, I don't know. It's just a a thing where people can't, I don't know. Appearances are just way too much in Bing town.
1: Right. It's very, a very big deal. And unnecessarily so from my personal point of view, but it is something that drives the town. It drives every aspect, at least in the aristocratic circle. We have little views that that is why, why can it is the way that he is, that um, he was trader born. So of course he cares about image. <laughs> and um, then we see this magnified in everybody that we get from Bingtown where there is image. And I like that Brashton kind of laughs off that like, oh man, actually this is kind of a ridiculous thing to be worried about at this moment. Like obviously her safety is more important than what she looks like. And um, sure. I don't want people to talk about her so I can just keep her off the side road and keep people from seeing her. I don't know. I think that's good that he's recognizing and trying to work on that pattern of like, maybe that's not the end all be all, <laughs> but as he tries to lead her on, she stops at a crossroads and says that she is hungry. She wants to go down the main way instead of the side streets he's trying to keep her on. And he tries to make up a lie by saying that he doesn't have any money so they can't go. And Althea gets a little suspicious and asks if he's already drank his money away.
0: And she says, I knew you were a sot in port, but I didn't think you even you could go through coin that fast. I spent it on whores, he embellished irritably. She appraised him the flickering torchlight. Yes, you would, she confirmed to herself. She shook her head. Nothing you wouldn't do, is there, Brash and Trell? Not much, he agreed coldly, resolute on ending the conversation. And once more he tries to tug her on, she resists and says, The lots of places will give me credit. Come on, I'll, I'll buy you something too. So he tries a different tack saying, Althea, you're drunk and a mess. You're in no condition to be seen in any public place. Come on, I'm taking you home. And she just kind of goes limp and follows him docilely. And he's kind of glad that she's just following him and kind of they're going out of sight in those back alleys. And he realizes that she's crying. What's wrong? He asked her wearily. Now that my father's dead, no one will ever be proud of me again. She shook her head blindly and then blotted her eyes on her sleeve. Her voice was choked when she spoke. With him, it was what I could do. With all of them, it's how I look, or what others think of me. You've had too much to drink, he said quietly. had meant the words to sound comforting, to mean that such things would only bother her when she was drunk and her defenses were down. Instead, they came out sounding like another condemnation. But she only bowed her head to it and followed him docilely, so he let it be. He was certainly having no luck at making her feel better. And honestly, he was not sure that he wanted to make her feel better or had any responsibility to do so.
1: You yeah, have well, Althea kind of being a brat and like being really horrible to Bration, who was trying to help her um, by insinuating that he is the worst of the worst. But. I do think it's really interesting to see this kind of mirroring of behavior behavior that Brashen is having to how Kyle kind of treats Althea. Obviously not to the extreme extent, but we have again a man who is around Althea who isn't really paying enough attention to her or thinking about who she is. They're just thinking about how easy it is to control her at this moment, which sounds a little harsh because obviously like Brashen is doing this in a way to try to get her home to safety and there's a lot going on. Yeah, it's just a nice
0: little parallel kind of built in there.
1: Yeah, but I do think it is a parallel of him not really noticing why it is maybe that she is so quiet and going along so easily after he brings up image and why that might weigh on her a lot. And I don't know. I just think it's really interesting to see another man in her life not really care about Althea Mm -hmm. and probably expounds the reason why she's crying and why she's upset that nobody really gets her. Yeah. Because I don't think her mom or sister do either. They don't care what's going on in her brain. They care about what.
0: She's part of the family image. Yeah. For them. It's, it's not, you can do something that you like, or you can do well at this, you know, that her father was teaching her or telling her or letting her do. It's right. how can you improve our image as a family? Right.
1: And you know what? I will praise Efren for that. I think it's really big that he helped her in a way that made sense to her and saw her as a human being and let her see herself as one too. I think that's really big. It's just, I don't know. It's really heartbreaking to read this. It makes me think of people who struggle with like schooling in the atypical way. Like they just don't do as well as others. And so there's like that pressure of like, I don't learn like others or I guess just anyone who has ever been othered. Like I don't seem the same as other people. And I had one person in my life who was affirming that that's okay. And that's normal. And now they're gone and I have to go back to the harsh world of people do care and they care more about what it looks like than what I feel like. And Mm -hmm. it's just really sad.
0: And Brashin kind of has a similar thought, but since he is in the moment, it's like, could she speak to him and forget how completely cast out from his kin he was? Only a few weeks ago, she had thrown that in his face. It wasn't fair of her to expect sympathy now that the tables were turned. He's kind of talking to himself. That's a continuation of like, I, I can't make her feel better. I'm not doing good at this. And then why should I make her feel better? She threw that in my face a few weeks ago. She shouldn't expect sympathy. So I feel like it's him wanting to make her feel better, but also since he can't, he's kind of justifying it. Yeah. Well, she was really mean to me about the same issue. and Why Why should I try to make her feel better anyways? Right.
1: And I also think it's really interesting that he thinks this is a new issue. Like to him, this is just number one Althea being too drunk and being not like really thinking things through. And number two, if it is true, well, this is a new situation for her and he's been going through it for forever, so whatever. But this isn't new for Althea. This is something Althea struggled with for probably most of her life and he just didn't know. And so it is another thing where people really truly aren't getting her and I feel really bad. Although, again, Althea does have her own problems, but, you know. (laughs)
0: So then she makes the quiet promise that she's going to get her ship back. He make an, he made a noncommittal noise. There was no sense in telling her he believed there was absolutely no chance of that. She demands a response from him, and he's like, yeah, I did hear you. And she's like, well, aren't you going to say anything? And he says, when you get your ship back, I expect to be first mate again. Done, she replied grandiosely. If I knew it were that easy, I'd have demanded to be captain. No. No, I'm going to be captain, but you can be the mate. Vivacia likes you. When I am captain, I'm only going to have people we like aboard her. Thank you, he said awkwardly. He had never believed that Elthea liked him. In a strange way, it touched him. The captain's daughter had liked him after all. What? she asked him drunkenly. Nothing. Nothing at all. And they turned down Rainwild River Merchant Street.
1: Mm. I don't think she ever said that she liked you. She said Vivacia likes you.
0: Well, she says when I am captain, I'm going to, I'm only going to have people we like aboard her.
1: That's fair. But I feel like still, I don't know. I, (laughs) nothing she has said before this has made me think she likes Brashan in any way.
0: That's why Brashan is like, oh, she actually kind of does like me. Yeah. So that's why
1: I'm like, no, Vivacia likes you and she'll tolerate it. (laughs) Mm, I
0: don't know. (laughs) Also, I don't think I don't think your argument has any weight because they do fall in love.
1: They OK, listen, they do fall in love. But did you see her like two chapters ago when she was like, um, yes. brashing can literally get lost. I don't care.
0: She's 18 and like doesn't talk to boys at all.
1: Uh, well, that's not fair. She talks to men all the time because she's on board with literally just men. OK. But maybe not in a romantic way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> maybe she doesn't know how to express those feelings. Maybe she's a little no. emotionally stunted. She maybe, goes to trade
1: her balls know. and dances with men.
0: Uh, refuses to dance with men.
1: <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Either way, she did I not it's a little, like
0: think uh, a playground, pull your hair kind of thing.
1: Mm. Okay. I don't know. We literally had her point of view, and I don't feel like any also, part of her point of view.
0: Also, I think it's uh, her being mean to Brashen is a little bit. Of a way to get back at Kyle Because Kyle's like Efren only picked Brashen up To match you with him So I Mm. think like Her hate of Kyle kind of Is trumping anything else Like no I don't like Brashen See
1: I guess that's Maybe I would buy that more (laughs) I don't know I just feel like When she was like Uh oh I might have gotten him fired Sucks to be him I don't know, It doesn't feel very much like I like him and I would like him to stay on the ship.
0: <laughs> I also think like she would think that about anybody else. Fair on you know, the crew. <laughs> so Well they walk down Rainwild uh the Rainwild Street, the merchants that sell the rain the goods from the Rainwild. And there's like a shimmer of magic, Brashen describes it. There's just like a palpable feel of something different here.
1: Yeah, it's a little spooky.
0: He wondered if Althea felt it and nearly asked her, save that the question seemed both too serious and too trivial to utter aloud. The silence between them had grown until Althea's hand on his arm was an uncomfortable closeness. When he spoke again, it was to dispel that more than from any need. Well, she's come up in the world quite swiftly, he observed aloud as they passed Amber's shop. He nodded toward a storefront on the corner of Rainwild Street, where Amber herself sat in a window behind an expensive set of Ica glass panes. "'They were as clear as water and set in elaborately carved and gilded frames. "'They made the woman in the window look like a framed piece of art. "'The woven, woven chair she lounged in was of white wicker work. "'She wore a long brown garn, gown that hung simply from her shoulders. "'It more cloaked than enhanced her slight form. "'Her shop windows were neither shuttered nor barred, no guards lurked outside. "'Perhaps Amber trusted to her own strange presence to deter thieves.' A single dish lamp burned on the floor beside her with a mellow yellow light. The rich brown of her draped gown pointed up the gold of her skin and hair and eyes. Her bare feet peeped from the bottom of her long skirts. She watched the street with a cat's wide unblinking stare. And Althea stops to return that stare. So we have the fool. We have beloved. We have Amber. Yes. And she is been here for two years as Brashen later says. And has been carving wooden beads and wooden jewelry and has moved on up from her first original shop to the Rainwild Street Merchant Shop. Sitting behind very nice glass panes.
1: Yes. And because Amber is presenting as Amber in this and goes by she, her pronouns, it's what we're going to use. Even though with the fool, we said he, him. Um, So just... To cause less confusion going forward. Yes. <laughs> Amber is she. And she is weird, <laughs> she, which is kind of the vibe she gave us The Fool, too. Uh, yeah.
0: But she's definitely different.
1: Yes. And this is really interesting because as a first-time reader, you don't know that this is The Fool being reintroduced. Mm-hmm. This is someone new. Yeah, because
0: like the, especially the skin color, you know, that's not something that is really brought up, except in a few passing comments that, you know, the fool starts getting a little bit darker, but the gold wording doesn't appear. No. So the only thing that I, like rereading this latched onto is what I kind of enhanced in my reading of the passage was the gown more cloaked than enhanced her slight form. So I, I thought just like covering up her form a little bit more cloaks it up more it kind of hides who she is and thought it was uh this description was very interesting. Yeah. The def- first introduction
1: definitely makes her more mysterious, more um, secretive about herself,
0: especially like the next scene as well. So Althea asks what she's selling and Brashen replies with, Wood. Basically.
1: Yeah, wood beads is what she started out selling.
0: Well, actually, I got my my things mixed up here. So Althea asks out loud, What is she selling? And Brash and winces, certain that the woman behind the glass had heard her words, but Amber's expression doesn't change. And then she opens them wide and looks as and, and says, She looks as if she's all carved of wood, golden maple. The woman behind the glass could hear her words, for Brashen saw a small smile begin to form on her sculpted lips. But when Althea added plaintively, She reminds me of my ship, lovely Vivacia, with all the colors of life over the silk grain of wizardwood. Amber's face abruptly changed to an expression of extreme distaste. Not quite sure of why that patrician disdain was so alarmed him, and, nonetheless seized Althea by the elbow and firmly hurried her past the window. So before we get into the further conversation about Amber, why do you think she smiled and why do you think she was disdainful?
1: Mm, I think the Wood comment made her smile just because it's kind of a nice descriptor. Especially and she, for
0: Amber. Yeah, and also <laughs> I
1: think she would find the humor in she's a woodworker and looks like wood.
0: Yeah. Especially since Althea doesn't know what she sells.
1: Well, she does know what
0: she's not, not during that comment. No, that's uh, specifically, what is she selling? She wonders aloud and Brashen doesn't answer anything. And then she closes her eyes, opens them and says, uh, she looks like wood. Uh, So that's, that's that's before that Althea even knows. So I think that's a little bit of a, a, you know, two for one there. Yes. Where, Amber is really like, ha, ha, ha.
1: <laughs> Yes, you guessed it almost. But yeah, I think the reason why she looks so distasteful about the second uh, mention is I think Amber knows what Wizard Wood is.
0: Yeah, I, that's what my thought was, too. I was just wondering if you had any other reasons.
1: No, I definitely feel like Amber has touched Wizard Wood before now, and she absolutely knows what's going on.
0: Yep, and... That's why she's so (laughs) disdainful of everything. How could these people worship corpses?
1: Right. But I don't know if Amber realizes they don't know.
0: Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure.
1: Because I don't think even the trader families who own the ships know, right?
0: Yeah, it's a very closely guarded secret.
1: They know it's special wood and that it's a very small supply, but I don't think they understand why or where it comes from.
0: Maybe some of the heads of the family know. But probably not a lot.
1: Mm. Well, either way, she is not pleased with that description. Yeah. Even though it is a compliment from Althea, I think Althea was being very nice <laughs> to say it reminds her of her own live ship.
0: Yes, but once again, Althea asks, "What does she sell there?" As Brash and pulls her away, and you know, she said she asks, she's not one of the big town traders. Who have Rainwild River trade, and only live ship families can trade up the Rainwild River. So who is she, and why does she have a shop on Rainwild Street? So Brashen shrugs and he's like, I don't know. She moved here two years ago. The whole thing, you know, set up a shop, moved up in the world, carves wooden beads, children strung them together, and then moved into a shop here and sells wooden jewelry. Elthea kind of scoffs, and Brashen's like, No, seriously, like this, this is legit stuff (laughs)
1: Yeah, like I thought it was dumb too until I saw yeah and she creates these masterpieces out of the wood she's getting little carvings in there that you never would have thought possible in the knots or in the curvature it's like she's bringing the wood to life
0: but it's as much the wood she chooses as the skill with which she does it I thought that was a very funny line (laughs) She has an uncanny eye to see what she does in a bit of wood. So, does she do does she work wizard wood then? Elthea asked boldly. Fah, Brashin exclaimed in disgust. She might be new, but she knows our ways well enough to know that wood that would not be tolerated. No, she only uses ordinary wood. Cherry and oak and I don't know, all different colors and grains. There's a lot more that work wizard wood in Bingtown than would like to own up to it, Elthea observed darkly. She scratched at her belly. It's a dirty little trade, but if you want a carved bit and have the coin, you can get it. Her suddenly ominous tone made Brashen uneasy. He tried to lighten the conversation. Well, isn't that what all uh, the world says of Bingtown? That if a man can imagine a thing, he can find it for sale here? She smiled crookedly at him. And you've heard the rejoinder to that, haven't you? That no man can truly imagine being happy, and that's why happiness isn't for sale here. There's a bleak mood as they continue on. But that is a little reference again to the Wizardwood charm similar to Ada's that Althea has.
1: Yes, Althea has a Wizardwood belly button ring that prevents pregnancy. And as we know as rereaders, she got this with her, or Kefria maybe got it for her? I think Kefria, yeah. Um, Because of what happened on the ship with the mate who was discharged yes and obviously she is like talking from her own experience so of course she's like kind of getting bleak and brashen has no idea about this brashen doesn't even know she has a wizardwood charm but it is really interesting that in this one instance we do see a a reversal of the roles of Brashen being a little bit more naive than Althea is. Right, yeah. That Brashen's like, no, no one would work with Lizardwood. And Althea's like, well, not no one.
0: <laughs> so the bleakness follows them into the night a bit. They're getting more into the residential sections of Bingtown. And in that silence, Brashen kind of finds his grief a little bit more. His grief for his fallen captain found space to grow in him. More than once, he blinked away the sting of tears. And so Brashen is kind of thinking back on the history. You know, Captain Vestrid has gone, and with him, his second chance at life. He wished he would have taken more of his advice. He wished, you know, the whole regret thing that he's missing out on times in his life that he should have, you know, paid attention more to.
1: And taken advantage of the things that he was offering while he was still around to offer it. And then he also notes that Althea is on his arm and she's going to have to make her way too now that she'd have to make her own way too. either that or accept the fate her family had parceled out to her. He suspected they'd find a younger son of a trader family willing to wed her despite her risque reputation, maybe even his own little brother he didn't think Sirwin would be much match for Althea's willfulness, but the Troll Fortunes would mingle well with those of the Vestrates. He wondered how Althea's adventurousness would stand up to Sirwin's hidebound traditionalism. He smiled grimly to himself and wondered who he'd pitied more.
0: Just a little, little funny thing because Sirwin's after Malta a bit.
1: Yes. <laughs> funny, gross, you know. <laughs> yeah. But also I think it's interesting that even in thinking of Althea going her own way. Brashen isn't picturing her doing more than getting married.
0: I don't agree with that. Look on the, on the words because he says that either she go her own way or accept what her family parcels out for her and then says they would find. Right. So either go her own way or accept that they would find a young trader to marry. Okay. Because I, I personally think that Brashen sees her, like, yeah, you, Althea could definitely go away because that's what he did. Like, he, yeah. he left. Obviously, he was kind of excommunicated from his family, but <laughs> he went his own way and, and got it figured out. So I, I think it's more so he was elaborating on what he thought of the second part.
1: Okay. Okay. Fair enough. But yeah, so he thinks potentially his younger brother could take her on as a wife. And that would be funny to him. <laughs> For multiple reasons,
0: they make it to the Vestrad house. It's at night, so it's a little, uh, little unfamiliar to Brashen because he's used to being there on official ships' business during the day. It seems to take a little bit longer to get up there, and he says an almost eerie peace descends over him. Today had been an, had seen an end to so many things. Once more, he was cut loose and drifting with only himself to rely on. So this, the rest of this part with Brashen is a lot of those. This is the last time this happens. This is the last time I'll see this. So it's really weird. It's kind of fatalistic almost in a way. Right. And I think that's how he views it. This part of his life is dead, you know, with Efren Vestrit, his lease on his second life. So now he starts his third chapter. And, and they approach the Vester mansion.
1: Yeah, and there's no reason for him to ever do this again because Efren is gone and why would he need to come here? He doesn't get along with Kyle, so it's not like he'll be coming back.
0: After a moment, he noticed that Althea had not let go of his arm, but all of a sudden she kind of collects herself, stands up straight and heaves a great sigh. Thank you for seeing me home, she said, her voice as level and formal as if he had escorted her home in a carriage after a trader festival. "'You're welcome,' he said quietly, as if the words had awakened. "'In the rough sailor, the genteel boy his mother had once schooled, "'he bowed deeply to her. "'He very nearly lifted her hand to his lips, "'but the sight of his own battered shoes "'and the tattering edges of his rough cotton trousers "'recalled to him who he was now. "'You'll be all right?' he half asked and half-told her. "'I suppose,' she said vaguely. "'And she sets her hand to the door to open it up, "'and it is jerked open roughly by Kyle, who is irate.' and basically just in a low pitched voice says what goes on here Althea initially recoiled in shock from him but recovered quickly and just levels up the, uh, the confrontation and says none of your business he catches her by the upper arm and spun her above because she's trying to walk past him and basically she's yelling get off me you know get your hands off me And Kyle's ignoring that, giving her a shake that snapped her smaller body about like the weight on the end of a lash. This family is my business, he growled. This family's reputation and good name is my business, just as it should be yours. Look at yourself, barefoot, looking and smelling like a drunken slut, and here's a rogue sniffing sniffing after you like he'd go after some cheap whore. Is that why you brought him here to your own family home? How could you, on the night of your father's death, how could you shame us all like this? She's baring her teeth and clawing at him, screaming, I've done nothing. The drink of it, the drink all too plain in her voice. I've done nothing to be ashamed of. You're the one who should be ashamed. You thief, you've stolen my ship from me. You've stolen my ship. Brasham is just standing in horror, kind of going through his head that, you know, this is the last thing that he wants to be mixed up in, but even worse if he just did nothing. So, you know, he says... Captain, Kyle, let her go. She did nothing except to get a bit drunk. Given what she's been through today, I think that's to be expected. Let her go, man. You're hurting her. Kyle throws Althea aside and advances on Brashen.
1: So I want to take it back a little bit. The way Kyle is acting without needing to be said is horrible, but it is very bad. But I also feel like Kefria told Kyle what happened to Althea. On the ship that time when she needed the birth control belly ring. Yeah. And he's kind of throwing that in her face right now, which is super horrible considering we know that it was not necessarily a consensual encounter and also not really something that Althea is happy about. It's not something that she likes to remember. And here he is saying, Basically saying, here you go again, opening your legs to anybody who wants you. And that's not at all what happened in the first place anyway. But the fact that that's how he's treating her. And even if it was, who cares? She's an adult. She can make her own decisions. But like that what part of this encounter made him immediately jump to that other than if he knew the history and thought that way about her anyway. And I just feel so bad for Althea. And also he goes straight to harming her. He is shaking her and grabbing onto her arm really hard. And Brashen is just like, whoa, dude, you're hurting her. Maybe chill. And Kyle then takes that as a threat. Like, oh, I guess I'm going to fight you now. Okay, macho boy, calm down and maybe think about the fact that they were just about to leave. Like, I'm sure he could hear them through the door. They were saying goodbye. I, I don't know. I just... I don't understand where he gets this righteous rage of like, clearly you're going to take him in and sleep with him. Like, where are you getting that from, sir? Right. (laughs) I don't know. It's just stupid. It's just the portrayal he wants of Althea. And that's what he's going to see.
0: And also, I mean, his hate for Brashen as well, because he just thinks, you know, it's just exacerbated by like, oh, this 'er do Well, Brashen is a rogue who's sniffing after her. Obviously that's what they're there for.
1: Do you think his hatred of Brashen comes from the fact that Ephrin approved of Brashen and not of Kyle and Brashen has a quote unquote bad reputation.
0: Probably. Yeah. He's, you know, he had everything that Kyle probably wanted being a firstborn son of a traitor family. Right. And threw it away. And then it's still approved of by a different traitor family. So I don't know, just a place for jealousy to go.
1: True. Maybe he should have worked on himself instead of placing blame on Brashen then.
0: Yeah, he Just think a thought. so.
1: But Kyle advances on Brashen and is kind of yelling at him of this, like, of course, you would think it's OK for her to drink. But she's a woman and she's got to look good for our family. So in this household, we don't approve of that lifestyle, unlike you. And it's just kind of being argumentative and a jerk.
0: Yeah. And Brashen giving ground here basically saying, like, it's not, you know, it's not what it looks like at all. And behind that scene, Althea's just kind of collapsed down and has started crying. And Brashen is a little, I don't know, it's really odd here because he's gearing up and gearing himself up for a fight. But he's also holding himself back a lot because he knows that, Kyle could literally just kill him and no one would really question him because he's part of a live ship trader family, like an old trader family line. He says, if he killed Brashen right here, few would question any account he might give of the event. So he told himself it was not cowardice, but savvy that made him back up, lifting his hands placatingly and saying, it was nothing like that. I was just seeing her safely home. That's all. Kyle swings a punch at him, Brashen easily sidesteps. And then in his head, he's like, all right, I got his, uh, (laughs) I got the gauge of him, you know. He's slow.
1: The one swing was all he needed to gauge the man. Captain Haven was slow, and he overstepped his balance. And while the man was bigger and had longer reach and might even be stronger, Ration knew he could take him and without too much difficulty. Ooh, burn. (laughs) But also kind of weird because in my head, Kyle is like kind of like a wispy person. Not like...
0: He's bigger people. than Brashin.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. He's like tall and lanky, and I see. I don't know. It's just weird to think that he might be stronger and beefier than our boy Brashin, who in my <laughs> mind, I guess, I don't see Brashin as like bodybuilder, big. But yeah, I don't know. I definitely didn't see Kyle being the bigger of the two of them. I guess is my point.
0: <laughs> Ronica was woken up by all of this commotion. She comes down and yells at them. Kyle, Brashin. Stop this. Stop this right now. What is going on? I demand to know what is happening here. This son of a pig, Kyle began, but Elthea's low, even voice cut through his outrage. I was distraught, I had too much to drink. I ran into Brashon Trell in a tavern, and he insisted on seeing me home, and that is all that happened or was going to happen before Kyle stormed out here and began calling people names. That's true, Brashen added, just as Kyle complained. But look at her, just look at her. He could never decide who Ronica Vestrip believed. Something of the steel she was known for showed in her as she simply said, Kyle and Althea, go to bed. Brashen, go home. I'm too tired and heartsick to deal with any of this just now. When Kyle opened his mouth to protest, she added compromisingly, Tomorrow is soon enough, Kyle. If we wake the servants, they'll tattle this scandal all through the market. I don't doubt that more than one is listening at the door right now. So let's put an end to this now. Keep family business inside the walls. That was what Efren always said. She turned to face Brashen. Good night, young man. She dismissed him, and he was only too happy to flee. He runs off without so much as a goodbye. And when he heard the heavy door shut firmly, he felt it had closed a chapter on his life. And he strides away, thinking, There's no bunk waiting for me on Vevesha. I don't want to spend the money to... Have a have a room at an inn or anything. So I'll head down towards the harbor by habit and then make my way towards the Paragon. He would put him up for the day and be glad of the company. Afternoon would be soon enough to recover his sea bag and begin to look for work and lodgings because dawn is starting to break
1: right. I think the fact that ration mentions that he's not sure who Ronica believes is very telling. I don't know who she ultimately believes. I don't know if we touch on this at all through her point of view. I don't think so, but it's kind of safe to say that she doesn't necessarily believe Althea. She's seen a different side to Kyle today. True, but that's one day and it's in the midst of grief. It can be explained away. She's had a lifetime of Althea doing things that she didn't agree with and didn't like. And, making a fool, a quote unquote fool of herself. So it's really hard. Maybe she doesn't believe Althea, but I think it's really big that Althea did stand up before Kyle could spew nonsense and said straight up what happened and then said, that's all. And Kyle started calling names, which is putting him in his place for like making a big deal out of nothing. Right. As best she is able, I guess. But Ration is gone. He's able to escape this horribleness that he does not want to be a part of anyway and that he was kind of dragged into. And he's trying to see the good in that, even though he is feeling pretty sorry for himself. And then we go to Malkin's point of view. So Malk or I guess not Malkin, just the Tangle in general. It's not
0: necessarily more from Shriver's point of view. Yeah. But Malkin, halts, and the rest of the Tangle is very glad of the rest because apparently they've been swimming and pushing themselves quite hard to find this new area wherever Malkin is leading them. And Shriver is watching Malkin with something like fondness as he sampled the brine of this plenty. A few of the other serpents are rumbling at his attitude because he seems kind of out of it. He seems like he's challenging something. And Caesarea is saying there's no challenger here. He faints with bubbles, basically. He's, you know, he's flaring his gills and looking at a challenger, but there's no one challenging him, so he's kind of, I don't know, It's kind of a little cuckoo. Yeah, it's a little crazy. (laughs) And Shriver's like, no, he's fighting memories. He's fighting to capture them. He's told me that. Like a wise fisher, he must gape and lunge into the mist, trusting that when his jaws close, there will be substance in his grasp. Silt, most likely, Caesarea said softly. And there's a little, you know, rejoinder to that that Shriver has. But obviously, Shriver is very much confident in Malkin's ability to lead. And she notes that the others were beginning to question Malkin's leadership. Of course, she does not. Right.
1: And we know that the trouble that Malkin is having is due to the age of the uh, the serpents. Yes. That It has been so long since they were born that all of this knowledge and history that should have been used a long time ago to help them become dragons has been in disuse. And that kind of made it harder to use the memories, I guess. There's just more memories being added on top of and it's just a very long time to go without being able to use this. But I also like the description of how he does see the memories that it's like a sort of river that goes past and he's fishing for the right memory because right. it, it really uh, drew to my mind the skill river. And I wonder if bit. it is something, if it is tied together, the skill river that fits imagines where he kind of comes apart and he is one with everything. If, if, Maybe that's what Malkin has access to in some way. I don't know.
0: I mean, I, I think I equate it a little bit with Althea getting lost in the memories of uh, of Vivacia, even. Sure. Because she's in kind of that half dazed and a little weird state. Sure. Not always fully there, but instead of just three people to draw memories from, it's, you know, probably thousands of generations of dragons. Right to find the correct place to go and everything has changed. The whole world has changed with the cataclysm. So very confusing. And he's always kind of going to be a little bit odd because of it. Right. Trevor remarks that it was true of late that his thoughts seemed even more unfocused than usual and true also that he trumpeted strangely in his dreams during the brief rests. He allowed them and that he spoke to himself more often than he did to, to his followers.
1: But it's those things that really convince her that Malkin is the real prophet and that he's really leading them to where they need to go.
0: Mm -hmm. And even right now he's kind of in a knot with himself kind of off by his own. And everyone else is looking at him like, Oh, why you got to do that right here, bud? (laughs) And she's like, Oh no, he's, he's trying to find a memory right now. And she's kind of enwrapped with that, that picture in front of her, that scene and she watches him hungrily. If the rest of the Tangle had not been so intently watching him, she might have even dared to join him to wrap his length with her own and try to share the memories he was seeking. Instead, she's discreetly drawing in more brine over her jaws, tasting the new saltiness of this area of the ocean, and also kind of tasting some of the, uh, the memories and the toxins that Malkin is putting off almost. And for an instant she dreamed, and in the dream the lack was the plenty, and she soared freely within it. Before she could control herself, she threw back her head and trumpeted triumphantly, The way is clear, she called, and then came to awareness of her own cry. The others were watching her now with the same tension with which they regarded Mulkin. So she kind of... Clears her throat in confusion, you know, sleeks back everything that makes it makes her look like, oh, I I wasn't doing anything weird out of probably a little bit of an embarrassment. Right. But Malkin instantly darts for her and, you know, flares his gills and toxins with extreme aggression, kind of welling toxins that both stunned and intoxicated her. He gripped her with immense strength, daubing his musk against her scales deluging her senses with the half grasp of memories that lured him on. Then he freed her from her freed her abruptly, and whipped his body clear of hers. Slowly, limply she settled to the bottom, gulping to breathe. She shares, Mulkin declared to his followers, she sees and is anointed with my memories, with our memories. Come, Shriver, arise and follow me. The time of the gathering is nigh. Follow me to rebirth. So again, as we readers more hints that these serpents become dragons because the lack becomes the plenty. So Mm -hmm. they are flying up above everything else.
1: Yes. I think it's also interesting to see someone who isn't the, one of the chosen quote unquote serpents seeing a memory. I don't know how typical this is or even why Shriver is able to do this. Obviously they don't know how typical this is. This is kind of all new, but Potentially, it is something that hasn't happened for a very long time. Maybe originally they all had the memories, too, just to a lesser extent.
0: Possibly. Mm -hmm. There always seems to be a certain chosen few that lead, though, that have the memories. Yeah. Like, specifically have the memories to lead them back.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, But it was really interesting that she also was able to see the memory. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the end of the chapter.
0: Yeah, we get a very good insight into Kefria's mindset and through that more of Kyle's motivations and his viewpoint, which, you know, humanizes him, but also makes us know that he's more disgusting.
1: (laughs) Right. I don't know. He's a bad person. That's not a surprise. Just more of his grossness. But... In a way that's a little bit more discreet than before. Right. With Althea, he's able to be his authentic, horrible self. (laughs) But around his wife, he tries to at least put on the airs that he is in control of his temper. Right. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys have any thoughts on this or... Anything you'd like to add, any questions you have, please send them to our email address at isfitshappy at gmail.com or message us on any of our social medias at isfitshappy. We're on Instagram, Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, whatever your fancy, we're probably there. We look forward to hearing what you guys have to say next week. Okay, so now we get to talk about some of the things you guys brought to our attention from last week and before, but mostly last week. (laughs) Um, This week, our discussion is probably going to be mostly centered around the magic that works with the live ships, um, what goes on, and how we all think that works.
0: Yeah. And and specifically like, you know, bonding people or the need to bond and things like that.
1: Yeah. We got a lot of really interesting um, insights uh, from a couple different people kind of explaining their viewpoint and they're all a little bit different.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, maybe we can start with Melissa who sent in a, a nice email to us. Specifically, commenting that she agrees with Emma's thoughts that Wintrow's initial connection was a bit of a glamour, and that they probably retain some sort of glamour from being a dragon. And that's why crews feel attachment to their live ship as well. Right. Because it just sort of extends through everything that enough skill and silver and memories remain in the wood that when they quicken, it is enough to draw people to them. Melissa says, I see the live ship sort of like a parallel to a dragon elderling relationship, except the humans are the ones shaping the dragons rather than the other way around. So, in that way, it makes some sense that a family, like the Vestrates, become the makers. They've made the live ship in their image, with their souls, memories, and blood entrenched in the ship's whole embodiment. So, just like a dragon needing to be present and participating in shaping their elderling, a family or family member must be present to shape their ship's sense of self. And the glamor would obviously be more potent on the blood relatives because together they have become part of the whole and kind of relates that to our next conversation that we had in that previous episode saying that Melissa thinks that we're right, that Kenneth would never fully be able to own or control or be a part of Vivacia because Vivacia is already directed by the Vestrit blood family. It was kind of relating to that conversation we had with what, what if there were a bunch of different people with mixed bloods? Right. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think that kind of mirrors what we were thinking, but it's a very interesting thought of relating it to an elderling dragon relationship, but reversed.
1: Yeah. I do really like that imagery of the creating something in your image, the way that the dragons do with the, the people that take care of them and worship them, that there is a lot of that going on. It would also explain why there is so much confusion when there is a lot of blood spilled on a deck and how that can harm a live ship that there's just too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak that that is affecting every aspect. Um, It's just like, other dragons wouldn't mess with one dragon, wouldn't mess with another dragon's claim that once a dragon has laid claim on something, usually they stay away. And so that's might be part of why Yeah, just that yeah. it could ruin the being that you're <laughs> shaping. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at it.
0: Definitely. And with a slightly different, but, kind of similar take not necessarily leaning into the connection of shaping another being or being a presence in your life but uh, Amir has messaged us on Instagram talking about Wintro and Vivacia being linked together specifically because Wintro is skilled and Amir makes some mentions about blood relations and how blood always seems to call out to blood like Fitz skill dreaming with Nettle and Dutiful, even though he's not there or, you know, Chade and Shine, things like that. So Wintrow being alone and kind of reaching out to his blood relatives right in front of him makes sense in in that sort of relationship way as well.
1: Right. And that when he reached out to his blood relatives, it was Vivatia who answered.
0: Yeah, definitely. With, with the three blood relatives who were there. You know, yes. So he didn't feel so alone. And Amir specifically says that uh, he's a big believer in the skill and wit being fully both encompassed in dragon magic. You know, skill being the channel and the wit being the power itself behind dragon magic. So it goes to show that in this theory here that vivasha would have both, or at least a relative of both the wit and the skill. And with Wintrow having the skill, that leaves something to connect with.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that there's something for him to grasp onto, whether that is the blood of his family members or the vivatia himself. We will never know, I suppose. (laughs) But it is really a really good callback to the fact that, um, at least with the skill magic, that there is a calling that happens between blood, that the blood is kind of strong enough to pull one towards the other. And kind of explains why maybe there would be a feeling of connection there, I guess that clearly in this world, blood relation is very important, which also nicely leads into um, an explanation that Ellen has on Facebook, where she talks a little bit about, her viewpoints on the difference between at least the wit and whatever the ship magic is. Yeah. And that the wit magic is
0: your choice. Your choice.
1: Yeah. Like you can connect with other beings, but you ultimately choose to bond with someone. Whereas the ship magic seems like they have to bond. They have
0: to have some sort of partner or person there guiding them or, On deck with them.
1: Yes. And Ellen kind of talks about some theories as to why that might be. And they say that it could be because they're a hollow shell of something that was supposed to use their material to fill themselves with the life and the memory that they possess. And now they're stuck in a foreign form, not consumed and put to real life, bonded, but always kept separate. It really doesn't sound like a nice state to be to be in for them and would explain their need from for a living being to partner with and to anchor them to fill them with some sort of purpose which i think is a really interesting thought
0: yeah definitely it, it feels like it's kind of a mirrors a thought that I hadn't really put into words but the cocoons and these dead dragons have you know, submerged or, you know, latent memories of being dragons. They were their own individual people, masters of things and, and able to fly and everything like that. Being trapped in a wooden ship at the beck and call of somebody who is directing them around really probably lends them to want their freedom a bit more. And having a bonding partner who, as Ellen goes into later is there to support you and, you know, recognize you and see you for who you are and support your needs probably feels like some sort of freedom. Like, hey, I, you can tell me what's over here <laughs> that I can't go there, you know, right. like have a relationship with instead of you're just trapped on the water.
1: Yeah. And, you know, eventually you get the memories of the being that you're helping. Um, so you will also get to kind of see all the things that they're doing on land. Yeah. Um, and then. Ellen also continues about the benefits of, from the point of view of the human.
0: Yeah. Specifically saying that it could be a glamor, but not necessarily agreeing with us on that or agreeing with, uh, Melissa's view on that and saying that Ellen would not be surprised if it would just be enough, that the feeling that someone truly sees you wants to know and support you and give you access to all those memories And new wondrous things to experience, to draw you in and make you want to bond or have that bond. Ellen says it's similar to how Kefria and Alice and other women get all infatuated with men that choose them, even when they're actually selfish oafs that don't treat them right in the long run. So it's Mm -hmm. relating back to what we talked about this episode with Kefria choosing Kyle, because, I mean, like you mentioned, she wanted to be recognized and viewed as important in her own right, right?
1: Right, yeah, in the way that she deems important. And th- that is kind of the relationship between the ship and the captain, or the family members, I suppose, is that they are giving some sort of validation and helping each other. So I thought that was really interesting how they all kind of tied into each other, but they're all separate ideas. Um, so thank you, Melissa, Amir, and Ellen for those thoughts. It was a lot Fun to think about.
0: Yeah, for sure. We do have one other email from uh, Jess here. And it's comparing Efren and chivalry together. Yes. So Jess is basically just commenting on the fact it's really interesting to see how different people read different characters and the comparisons you can draw. And Jess draws up a, a few very nice comparisons between Efren and chivalry mainly that they have strong values, including honor, a commanding presence and ability and willingness to instill dignity, respect, and honor in those under their authority, a fierce love for family and people know them uh, well and dearly and continue thinking highly of them after they're gone. And that they are both honorable people who intend to do good, but do make mistakes. uh, And, Jess specifically says, I think Efren hated not leaving Vivacia to Althea as much as Shiv hated not claiming Fitz. But they made those choices as they thought it was the only option under the circumstances when considering the larger picture. So, very interesting thought on both of them there. How and, and comments on us comparing Efren and who was it? Was it Beerick?
1: Yeah. Originally, yeah. we had said we had wondered who would be a better parent.
0: So, yeah, very, very interesting thought of just, you know, ways that people view other things. And yeah. I think that comparison is pretty apt if you're taking my viewpoint and, and reading him in a more generous light. <laughs> uh, but if you're thinking from Emma's point of view of like there are re- unreliable narrators here, we don't know anything specifically that Efren has done. Only what people have claimed him to think of. Then that is conversation isn't really good unless you think the same thing of chivalry.
1: Yeah, I definitely do. And I think I made that a little bit clear near the end of the series. I like started disliking chivalry more and more (laughs) um, just because I felt like he was making such bad decisions. So
0: maybe there's a good comparison. (laughs)
1: You know what? I think it's always a good comparison. Um, And just, I mean, even if you were to take anybody in the series and try to compare them to each other. It's really interesting from this series versus the last series, like who fits in where and kind of which cast is taking over the role, so to speak, although we know they're all different people. Um, it's fun to see which which part they match up with and how we feel about people. I think especially in this book, I've been really trying to think hard about since we know how unreliable all the narrator narrators are just like what makes these people good people. And I don't know. So I think that's been really fun. And it's really cool to see other people's viewpoints on who they're comparing to. Um,
0: There's, there's one last thing I do want to bring up. Um, We have another email from Vika here and they are, because this episode has been a lot of bashing on Kyle, I do want to bring up one point that they had in their wonderful email, specifically about Kyle's disdain for the Vivacia yes. and like the traditions of live ships. I do want to just a quick point about this. Vika brings up that they think Kyle does, it does irk Kyle to, you know, be on a live ship with a woman figurehead but not in the typical, well, it is kind of the typical, but not exactly what we were describing or thinking that Kyle might have issues with in a sexist way. Right. It's specifically Vika is thinking that Kyle wouldn't like to be seen in front of his crew having to cater to a woman. Yes. So the live ship Vivacia being a woman figurehead means that the live ship has kind of the final say ish, not really, but like in some things it has to be listened to because it is a thing, like an actual sentient being. Right. (laughs) And the crew respects it. So Kyle, having, having the worldview he does having to listen or take input from this woman is probably very demasculating and humiliating to him.
1: Right. And Vika also talks about how, his lack of knowledge on the live ship itself probably adds to this feeling that to him being seen as ignorant is bad. And instead of like, you know, learning more, or asking questions, he just wants to come off as if he knows everything, but he can't do that because Brashen just openly loudly Explained to everyone that Kyle clearly has no idea right. how live ship works, which also makes him frustrated more. So I thought that was really a really good point to bring up that like he is at a disadvantage because he doesn't know what's going on and because of his personality and upbringing, not knowing what you're doing is bad. So you have to pretend like you do, and then on top of that, he doesn't know how to work with a woman. Right. So just rough all around. So thank you, Vika, for that point of view. And thank you, everyone who wrote in. It is always fun to see your guys' point of view and what you guys agree with, what you don't agree with, and your own takes on some of the topics that we bring up.
0: Yeah, thanks. Hope to hear from you next week.